All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Hour number two of Gojo and Golik rolling along here. Mike Golik Jr., Mike Golik Sr., and Dad. I feel like we missed a lot of the musical chairs in college football over this last week while we yeah. were out in Las Vegas. And a lot of guests are our, our thanks to Kate Abdo and Micah and Thierry Henry uh, for being a part of that great crew. But <laughs> we did miss a lot of the dominoes continuing to fall in college football. I, I think because of the amount of coaching jobs that were up for this year and the amount of volatility that we've seen. And now, you know, not an insignificant number. I don't want to paint this out to be like I'm in the doom and gloom cloud with, oh, there's so many college coaches heading to the NFL, but we saw enough big-time coaches at big-time jobs leave and create a void that's now created this domino effect that has extended itself to Boston College, which somehow Boston College affecting Ohio State was not the butterfly yeah. affecting college football I had this offseason, but walk with me on this. So we obviously had the headline that ran a couple weeks ago before the Super Bowl that former Boston College head coach Jeff Halfley had taken the defensive coordinator job with the Green Bay Packers. A lot of people surprised by that. Boston College is a standing Power 5 school, albeit in the ACC, and you can read into that what you will coming off the most recent year. But Jeff had ties to the NFL before that. He takes that job there. And so all of a sudden, we go through, and now Boston College needs a new head coach. They go and hire former Patriots offensive coordinator and former Penn State head coach Bill O'Brien, who comes over there now. Got plenty of ties in the Massachusetts area, obviously. Uh, grew up in Andover, spent a bunch of time in New England with the Patriots. He's got a son that's playing baseball at Tufts. So all these things that work well with that, which then leads to, all right, well, where was Bill O'Brien before? He was the new offensive coordinator at Ohio State University as Ohio State gets ready to load up its Death Star for this season. And so now Ohio State needs a new offensive coordinator. And this is where things got wild, Dad, because in an offseason where we had seen some head coaches in, the, uh, in college football, more in the group of five level, make the jump to power five coordinator and leave behind that for the next level up of football, Chip Kelly leaves UCLA to take the Ohio State offensive coordinator job was nowhere on the bingo card that I had in mind and becomes, in my mind, Dad, the strangest domino to fall this offseason relative to the rest of the coaching de uh, decisions that we saw. A lot of the rest of the stuff, the moves from college to the NFL, I can understand given the people that were involved. And I can understand that Chip Kelly was probably treading on thin ice at UCLA, but man, it still does feel strange to see a power five head coach who is getting ready to move into one of the big two conferences, go and leave and take a coordinator job like this at another team that was going to be a conference power against it. I'm, I'm somewhat stunned by this one and I can't figure it out. Like you said, and we, we talked about, he, he probably felt he was going to get fired last year. He didn't. So I'm sure he feels he's kind of hanging by a thread there. So maybe to get a jump on his next gig, but to it not be a head coaching job somewhere else 
in college. You know, I, I don't know where, but, but there are tons of jobs available every year. So even if he was with UCLA next year and got fired, uh, you would think he would be a head coach somewhere else. So I'm very surprised. And I, you know, I'm sure he, he, listen, we've had him on the show. He's very forthcoming. I, you know, I wonder how much he'll get into why he made that, that, you know, it's a downgrade move for him. A guy that's been a head coach, you know, in the NFL with the Eagles and with San Francisco and with coached Oregon. Now he's coaching UCLA and chooses to take a step back and go be an offensive coordinator, albeit for obviously an excellent team at Ohio State. But I'm as surprised as you are. I really am. I, I don't know, and I, I'd love to hear some explanation on why he did it. I'm sure, you know, if he's talked about it already or we'll, we'll hear it. But that one to me, outside of, of the other thing that was interesting to me is we always talk about young coordinators and jobs. You look at Bill O'Brien, who took over there at Boston College, is 54. Chip Kelly is 60, becoming the OC at Ohio State. Wink Martindale goes to Michigan. He's 60 years old as well. So you're, you're tapping into some, a lot of experience. You know, Mike Zimmer going to the Cowboys uh, in his 60s. So you're tapping on and on the experience. But without a doubt, from, from Bill O'Brien to uh, Wink Martindale to Ryan Grubb going to Seattle from Alabama, which I'm sure we'll get to. Uh, the Chip Kelly move is the one that has me scratching my head absolutely the most. Now, that being said, while from an interpersonal standpoint and from our perception of college football standpoint, it's a little confusing. Don't get it twisted. Right now, there are two teams you can put in pen for the college football playoff. And I'm not talking about the expanded version. I'm talking about if we were still doing four teams right now, Georgia and Ohio State, you are college football playoff teams. Because, man, Ohio State took it personal this offseason. Getting embarrassed by Michigan for the last number of years when Jim Harbaugh was there, they decided they're done with the bull stuff. Between this hire, obviously, Chip Kelly, I I, I said, when he was getting talked about for NFL jobs, a lot of people had this image in their mind of the old Chip Kelly, where, oh, it's just the spread no huddle stuff. No, no, no. Chip Kelly has evolved in recent years in UCLA. There's a lot more in this tool bag. You've got him. Ohio State brought back Travion Henderson at running back, Denzel Burke, JT Tuamalo on defense, Emeka Egbuka on offense, Jack Sawyer on defense, Tyleek Williams uh, in the transfer portal. They brought over Caleb Downs, Quinshawn Junkins, Will Howard, Julian Sand, uh, the former Alabama quarterback and commit from the 2024 class, had decommitted and committed to Ohio State. So they have gone about building this Death Star and now added one of the most accomplished offensive head coaches and voices in college football to their roster. This theme is going to be a nightmare next year, provided the quarterback situation hits the way they think it should. So let me ask you, and and you mentioned about the 14, but we know it's a 12 team. Ohio State's going to get into that, whether they win the Big Ten or not. But let me go back to that. How much is Ryan Day on the hot seat? Now, three years losing to Michigan. Michigan goes, has been going to the playoffs. Michigan is the national champs. We know the Ohio State-Michigan setup. Ryan Day has won a ton of games. We were saying the same thing about Jim Harbaugh when he was losing to Ohio State, but he's still winning everywhere else. They're right on the verge, and then obviously they go over the top. They win the title. They've been in the playoffs. So we know Ohio State will make the playoffs, but what if they lose to Michigan again? What if they don't win the Big Ten title because of Michigan again this year is Ryan Day in your mind on the hot seat going into this season let's put it this way he shouldn't be because he's a great coach but because it's Ohio State and because it's Michigan and all the surrounding factors like if he loses to Michigan this year where they're going to lose J.J. McCarthy and a whole treasure trove of NFL talent to the NFL where Jim Harbaugh is now gone and you have uh, Sharon Moore taking over as a first-time head coach for this program if this Michigan team beats this Ohio State team yeah they're going to burn the entire thing down like that that to me and again I'm not saying I would advise it I think Michigan is the perfect right, cautionary right. tale of hey if you were have sold off Jim Harbaugh when Michigan fans wanted to and when most people thought it might happen you would have deprived yourself of the national championship that it eluded you for almost two decades for over two decades so it should be a cautionary tale for everyone else 
but dad, we understand how these things work. And we also understand in new age college yep. football, how much money, what they're doing probably takes in the new age world of NIL. While a lot of these big time schools, Ohio state, Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, these places that can offer you a bright NFL future don't have to overpay in the same way that maybe other schools right. do who can offer that stuff. They do have things to offset that. I still can't imagine a bunch of guys who had NFL potential futures coming back to school was all that cheap for the collective around there. And so now that you've got that to answer for as well, I do think it adds to the stakes that are absolutely there for Ohio State this year. Based on the roster coming back, based on the moves they had made, and based on what their rival is losing, beating Michigan has to be the bar that gets cleared this year. And quite honestly, with everything else that we just described coming in place, it's always national championship or bust in Columbus. That's the state of that yep. program. But this year especially is a chips in the middle of the table type year for Ohio State. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. And it's not always the right move. And you're exactly right to say, as Ohio State fans and Ohio State players put it, that team to the north – what they were able to do when when everybody was talking about giving up on Harbaugh and where they came back. But this is the year, right? You just mentioned all the parameters of why Ohio State should be back on top of the Big Ten again this year and right in play for the national championship, which I think really adds to it and magnifies that if it doesn't happen, that that's going to be the end for Ryan Day, who I agree with you, is an excellent coach but we know the standards of, of that school and some of the top schools like that on where you need to be. Yeah, and the difference now between – because in terms of the offseason, it's so difficult now to prognosticate college football – in February and March and even when you get through the spring because we've got multiple transfer portal windows we've got all these different parts that are mixing up now every offseason so the rosters are more volatile than ever and it gets harder to predict because you're constantly trying to plug in what you know about a guy and what you think he might fit into the system versus what you actually know and this offseason had more movement than we've seen in quite a while even in this era so it becomes difficult to prognosticate but Ohio State and what we know about them should be in there. The biggest difference between them and Georgia right now is, Dad, Georgia bringing back the core that includes the quarterback. Carson Beck comes back for another year after showing you he can do this. Will Howard's been a really solid quarterback at Kansas State. He was a part of the Big 12 championship two years ago where they beat TCU, who's the eventual playoff team. This year, a little bit lesser in terms of the overall results. But between him, if you get Julian Sane to stick around uh, after Bill O'Brien left and what he might be tied to there there's at least a question there versus an answer down in Athens. And that's probably the biggest difference between those two teams right now. I love going back to Ohio state. Think of the matchup. Now we keep talking about Ohio state, Michigan, Chip Kelly's offense at Ohio state against Wink Martindale's defense at Michigan. Yeah. Two, you know, big time names, right? Two big time names. Now will square off in the offense and defensive chess match as we get the Chip Kelly offense. And for those, you know, on this musical chairs that we continue on, Wink Martindale, uh, the 60-year-old going uh, from the Giants. He had been in Baltimore going from the Giants uh, now uh, to Michigan to run that defense that Jesse Minter was running. But he went to the Chargers with Harbaugh. And before that, it was Mike McDonald who was with Baltimore, but was also with the other Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, and now he's the head coach in Seattle. So the good thing for Michigan is Wink Martindale kind of runs that scheme. So from we always talk about when there's new coaches, especially you know coordinators, and then you get down to position coaches, but mainly coordinators, what scheme are you running? What do you have to learn for those Michigan defenders who are there are coming back and been a part of the Jesse Minner defense, it's not going to change a whole lot, if at all, with Wink Martindale. So they won't have to go through that abrupt, oh, my God, a whole new scheme, a whole new set of terminology. It'll be close to the same, and I think that helps. My God, wait a minute. The NFL sky's not falling because an NFL coach is going to college football right now? I thought that's how this yeah. all worked, right? When they changed levels, that must mean something horrible and wrong is going on up there, and the sky is falling here. Uh, no, you know what, Daddy, that is a, a good hire for Michigan in that term. All I'll say is we talked about simulated pressures. That's been the big buzzword this last year. It's been around forever, yep. but it, it got talked about a ton here. There ain't going to be no simulation with Wink. He's just going to blitz the hell out of you. No. So if you're getting ready to play <laughs> Wink in the Big Ten and you're squaring off against Michigan – you better have a plan for the blitz because you're going to get it damn near every play. Wink Martindale is going to try and kill you with hammers, and it's going to be awesome. But, Dad, uh, we did talk about a lot of these signs of the times. 
while I don't think, again, it is indicative of, oh, NIL and the portal are gutting college football and it's, you know, it's this thing that's ruining the sport and all these coaches are running for opportunities in the NFL. Most of those are few and far between. There are very few college coaches that have the connective tissue or the qualifications to coach in the NFL at the highest level. Most of the coaches that we've watched leave for the NFL this offseason have had those ties before, have been guys that have been up there, cut their teeth as young coaches, and then made their way to college, but always kind of had a foot in the door and we thought could be back thereafter. Then there's the Ryan Grubb move at Alabama, which becomes fascinating. And I oh do boy. think that indicative of just what a different place the Crimson Tide are in right now post Nick Saban. Kalen DeBoer is taking over and starting off his tenure there. He brought with him a lot of people that were familiar to him, including his offensive coordinator from Washington, who had been with him along a number of stops as the offensive coordinator there until now. Ryan Grubb has taken the job as the offensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. I'm Mike McDonald's staff. And, Dad, this is a guy that was running NFL stuff. We saw it with Michael Penix Jr. this last year at Washington. Had one of the most exciting offenses in football. But for you, is it still a little jarring to see Alabama losing out in the game of musical chairs in this big a way this late in the cycle? Yeah. uh, But, I mean, listen to Ryan Grubb's career. I always say – to Google these coaches, you talk about coaches in the stops that you make, but but he's 47 years old. He started coaching in 2003, and it was at Kingsley Pearson High School. Then he went to South Dakota State, and then, then he met up with Kalen DeBoer at Sioux Falls, left Sioux Falls for Eastern Michigan for a few years, then hooked back up with Kalen DeBoer at Fresno State, and then at Washington for a couple of years, and then goes to Alabama as the OC, and he's now the OC in the NFL. I mean, that's the rise that this guy has taken. He is that's that's the resume, and now the OC for the Seattle Seahawks, which is is an, an incredible jump to me of of where he's gone. And he also may take for also like you said, left Alabama. And it's going to take the old line coach, it looks like, Scott Huff as well, who came from Washington yeah. with DeBoer to Alabama. And now Grubb leaves, and it's going to take one of the position coaches with him. So, boy, oh, boy, th- things we, we used to see. Well, I mean, we have seen coordinators leave Alabama to become head coaches. I mean, almost every year, uh, uh, Nick Saban will be replacing a coordinator. He'd be bringing in an analyst from the NFL, replacing a coordinator. Uh, but here, this coordinator didn't even get to do anything yet, and he's already gone. So is this actually a sign that Alabama is healthier than ever? Because in record time, they were able to bring in a coordinator and already shoot them off to a lucrative, well-paying job on the back end. Dan, you used to have to actually coach at Alabama for a year to at least get that kind of glow off of it. Now you just step inside the door for a couple of days and the NFL is ready to hire you away. Maybe Kalen DeBoer actually has this program in a better place than Nick Saban in this essay, I will. Probably not go that far, but uh, it's a fun thing to think about here. And I I don't know, Dad, it... To me, that is more about how coveted Ryan Grubb was. Coordinators that do come up all the way through college that run a system like his that did look as ready-made for the NFL as it seems to be. And I'm sure there's going to be tweaks based on specific personnel and all that stuff, but you don't see that a lot now. I mean, even still in college in this day and age, it still feels like you see a lot more of the tried and true spread stuff, hurry up stuff, stuff that's a little bit easier to install with the time constraints that you have that doesn't require quite as much. So Seahawks fans, I'd be pumped about this. If you did not watch Washington football this fall, go back and take a little bit of a look. This is a guy that uses personnel incredibly well, pre-snap motion incredibly well, gives his quarterback a ton of information. And Scott Huff, his offensive line coach, had been in Washington for seven years. Like, that's a guy that had coached a lot of really quality offensive line groups at UW for the time being, including this last year, the Joe Moore Award-winning offensive line for the best O-line in college football. And what I can tell you is someone who watches a lot of film on behalf of that award is – That's an extremely well-coached group. You can turn on the tape and see similar technique all across the board from those guys. And I always say, if you're watching an offensive line and you see five guys doing largely the same thing, that's coaching. That's those guys being able to take in the message that you're getting from Scott Huff. So between him and between the coordinator, Seattle should feel pretty damn good about the new coaching staff that Mike McDonald's building there. 
And a lot of it, too, is we always see, oh, with the talent they had, you know, what, what happens now? Because look what they had in Washington. He had, you know, a Heisman finalist and Michael Penix, and he had two 1,000-yard receivers for the last two years. So it's like, okay, what kind of talent does he have? Well, he goes to Seattle. you got D.K. Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. I mean, you, you've got some, some wide receivers to work with, a young running back in Walker. And, well, you know, Geno Smith, we'll see what last year. He's 20 touchdowns, just nine interceptions. Lockett played in a few games as well. So they get squared away there. But he has talent you know, on that, from that receiver side, like he did at Washington to work with. And I mean, listen, they weren't healthy both for a long portion of the same time of right. last year, but Howard Cross, Abraham Lucas, you would hit the year before on two rookie offensive tackles that both played very well. Howard Cross looked like he absolutely lived up to the billing as one of the first tackles, maybe even played the best of any of the tackles from the first round, the couple of drafts ago. So you're you're right. He's walking into a cupboard that is plenty full offensively in Seattle. And then you look on the other side and go, and, and Mike McDonald's defense and start to really wonder there, but the game of musical chairs around college football hopefully settles a little bit now. Deshaun Foster takes over as the head coach of UCLA, former great there and former player there that had been on the staff for a while and now gets to sit in the chair. And maybe, just maybe, we'll get something resembling stability as we get ready for spring football. Coming up next, let's take a look at the NBA. It's going on, and there's some things that have shocked us. Next. Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. And we've talked a lot about Big Vic on this show. Rookie sensation Victor Wembanyama. For the San Antonio Spurs, Dunn did it again last night, something that hasn't been done for more than three years in the NBA. A triple-double with blocks. Wemby had 27 points, 14 rebounds, 10 blocks, and 5 assists in just 29 minutes as the Spurs boat-raced a garbage Toronto Raptors team. It's the first triple-double with blocks since Clint Capella did it back in January of 2021. And oh, by the way, according to ESPN Stats and Info, he's info. Wemby is the first player ever with 10 blocks and five assists in under 30 minutes played. Uh, the big man after the game got asked if he was thinking about the coveted quadruple double, and here's what he had to say. As a second thought, yes, but uh, I mean, I was trying to win first. <laughs> but uh, yeah, almost got a quintuple double with turnovers. Huh? <laughs> it's getting harder to, to block shots as well, so I had to make that extra effort tonight. And, uh, because less and less people go at me, you know, in the room. But yeah, it's a, intimidation is, I can see it happen. Dad, we always knew with Wembenyama coming in, he was this tantalizing talent, and the team is certainly lagged behind the player. It's not a great roster in San Antonio. There were going to be growing pains and have been for Big Vic. But him leading the NBA in blocks is the least surprising thing on earth. And you saw it last night. It was 
like watching the kid that hits his growth spurt early playing middle school. Basically, it's like watching my brother Jake play elementary school, middle school basketball, yeah. where hits the growth spurt early and nobody in his vicinity can get a shot off because Big Vic was just sending everything back last night. I think six blocks alone in the third quarter, ridiculous uh, of what he did. And you mentioned the five assists as well. And he mentioned seven turnovers. Mike, I was just looking quadruple doubles. You know, he needed, he obviously needed five more assists, but it's something to keep your eye on and the radar, right? Because of what he did and we know what he can do with the blocks. Nate Thurman did it back uh, for the Bulls in 1974. Alvin Robertson back in 86 for San Antonio, actually. And Hakeem Olajuwon back in 1990 did it for the Rockets. And David Robinson did it in 1994 for the Spurs. So the four times, two were San Antonio Spurs. So we'll, we'll see if, if uh, he can make it three, if he can ever do that. Uh, you mentioned beating a garbage team in Toronto, but Toronto had eight more wins than, than San Antonio. San Antonio is a bad team. But the great thing about the NBA is you can be a bad team and still see a star and a unicorn like this, and it's fun to watch because we're seeing him grow. But the key for San Antonio, the team, and the fans is what can you build around him? You know, can you make this – a contending team like Greg Popovich has done, you know, with the David Robinsons of, of the world and and other uh, the way he built around that team with the big men and the guards as well and built championships and built dynasties there. Can you do it again around Wemby? Yeah, let's put it this way. Obviously, you've got a long way to go in terms of the acquisition. I mean, you mentioned the depth of those rosters when you added Tim Duncan with David Robinson and you had Tony right. Parker and Manu Ginobili and all these great players at every level. Kawhi Leonard starting off his career there and how important he was to that team. You got a long way to go to that. But man, if you're another player around the league, I understand San Antonio is never going to be some sexy destination for free agents, but you know, between potentially building through the draft. I don't know, man. The thought of playing with a guy this singularly talented and effective on the court, I'd imagine would be appealing to a certain section of the NBA population. Yeah. But in the meantime, gives us a bunch of freaky headlines and stats, and we get to watch him play in the Rising Stars game coming up at the All-Star game, which is going to be a ton of fun there, as he's no doubt part of the next class. He's next up, and as he continues to add size and strength to his build and frame, uh, this is only going to happen more often. So you're right. We're on quadruple double watch from here on out. I hadn't really entertained this thought much, and now it's going to be there. But Dad, part of that is because it's been football season. We've been a little bit busy. We haven't quite been as right. tapped in in the NBA, but we're going to be there now in the offseason. This is a show that doesn't just cover football. We cover everything. And so we need to make sure that we're getting back tapped in the NBA. But, uh, Dad, in honor of that, as we have sort of Groundhog's Day come out of our hole right now, we've seen our shadow, and so there's not six more weeks of NFL winter here. We've got the NBA, so I wanted to ask you, what are some of the things that you've been most surprised by now as we've looked at this NBA season that maybe we haven't had a chance to talk about? I, I think one of the biggest things, and I'd have to go back and listen to the, the NBA prognosticators uh, before the season, you know, when you're predicting – did anybody have Minnesota and Oklahoma City at the top of the West? I mean, they're right now with the second and third best record in all of basketball. Boston's first, the only team with over 40 wins. And then it's next, Minnesota 37, Oklahoma City with 36 wins. And then there's more than a few teams with 35. But what was that on anybody's radar? I know it was of them getting better but was it of them continuing to lead? Because when you see teams lead that you're not normally used to seeing lead, you're like, oh, they'll fall off at some point. But they're not. The three is the Clippers. You get the defending champs, and the Nuggets are sitting in the four slot right now. Now, it's all close from four to one. It's a game and a half. But still, that Minnesota and Oklahoma City are, are up there. I think that's great, you know, for the league, uh, in, in a league of building superstar teams, you know, and then you kind of had – uh, Denver finally crossed that finish line last year with a couple you know, guys that were there with Murray and with Jokic. Uh, but I would say that that's, that's one of the more surprising – I have a couple others, but that's one of the more surprising things to me that those two teams up, up at the top of the West. Yeah, I would say really the whole trio of teams at the top of the West. I mean, the Clippers, it working as well with James Harden as it has out in Los Angeles. The fact that this team full of the aging stars that we've talked about has gotten it together to this point where, yeah, you've got that as the one, two, and three seed out there. To your point, Dad, about had anyone predicted this 
for Minnesota going into the season. Kevin Pelton over at ESPN had projected the Timberwolves to have the second highest average win for the upcoming season this year. So I think some people looked at the parts involved and said, hey, we can make this work a little better than maybe we expected going into this, right? That combination of Carl Anthony Towns and the, uh, and the big men there finding a way to be working complementary parts uh, also with Anthony Edwards as well. So I I'm with you. I was surprised by that being the top of the Western Conference. Uh, the Denver Nuggets getting boat raced by the Milwaukee Bucks too last night. Just a weird side yeah. there as well. But uh, Dad, I I'd say for the other one, for me, looking over in the Eastern Conference here, your hometown here, the Cleveland Cavaliers, second place in the Eastern Conference right now. Everyone else we've kind of been used to, right? The New York Knicks sitting at the four spot have been under Tom Thibodeau, a team that's been a pretty consistent performer, even if we have questions about their ceiling overall. The Boston Celtics being fully out front in first place surprises nobody at this point, although they don't have a top 10 scorer, which is certainly something. And then, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks being in the mix as well. But how about the Cavs of the two seat, Dad? Are you beaming with Cleveland pride right now? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, what a run uh, they've been on. What, what the 17 and one at home since December, but losing though to the 76ers, Tyrese Maxey had himself a game last night. Remember, they the 76ers without Embiid sitting in the five slot, but what a run that they've had. Nine and one in their last 10 games. So, yeah, that has def definitely been a surprising thing given we keep saying Boston, Milwaukee, and we had said Philadelphia, but now Embiid's out the Knicks. Uh, who lose, and the rest has to actually admit that shouldn't have been a foul called on Jalen Brunson, your, the rare admittance by the officials that they got it wrong. Uh, but yeah, Cleveland being in the mix of all that has been pretty surprising as well. I think one of the things that I'll say last about it, and it'll be more toward the end of the year, we talk about the Lakers and Warriors and that matchup with Curry and LeBron a while ago in the double overtime game, but but then you you say, well, okay, it's a team that's sitting ninth, uh, ninth and 10th in the West. To me, the one big storyline is going to be at the end of the year, I think it's the end of the core in, in Golden State. And you wonder if LeBron's going to be on the Lakers next year, right? I mean, there was that flirtation of does he get traded? That got shut down quickly. But what is his future in L.A. next year? Could he be gone from there as well? So truly kind of the end of what we've seen the last few years in L.A. and also what we've seen for a lot of decent amount of years in Golden State. It's going to make for an exciting last 30 or so games that we have coming up around and after the All-Star break as we march towards the postseason. But coming up next, I know we said we were done with football, but let's take a little bit of detour. We got some new Hall of Fame eligibility announced for the upcoming class here with some names that make me feel very, very old. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Dad, we took some time last week to acknowledge it, but also wanted to give it up again for the 2024 NFL Hall of Fame class. Um, Dwight Freeney, Randy Gratishar, Devin Hester, Andre Johnson, Steve McMichael, Julius Peppers, and Patrick Willis all going to have their names enshrined in Canton this upcoming summer uh, as members of the 2024 Hall of Fame class here. Awesome, incredibly deserving group overall, Dad. Some great players that were the guys, you know, and we're getting to this point now where 
obviously you've covered this sport and so many for multiple decades yep. now. We're getting to the guys that I watched growing up, the guys that were the stars of my youth that are starting to get into the Hall of Fame right now. And so it's an interesting reckoning point as we look at both this group and then start to take a look at the first-time Hall of Fame candidates for the upcoming for the upcoming 2025 Hall of Fame class, too. Yeah. Yeah, really are. I, I was happy to see, like I said, Dwight Freeney and Julius Peppers, who came out in the same class in 02, uh, go in together. Dwight Freeney was kind of in that era of the tweener who didn't play in my era, but became big in the next era, right? He was like 6'2", 6'1", 6'2", like 255, ran a ridiculous 40 at the combine, but was kind of too small for a D-end and too big for a linebacker but then found his way to be that rush edge rusher with the incredible spin move uh, to the tune of, what, 100 and, I think, 125 and a half sacks in the Hall of Fame, where Julius Peppers was kind of the different, the taller, you know, basketball playing, you know, kind of freakish athlete who, who made it in the same class. So I love that. Obviously, the story with Steve McMichael, as we talked about, just so, so sad with how ALS has ravaged his body there. Uh, so congrats to him, to all of them. Devin Hester deserved to be in. More more attention needs to be to the special teams, and I'm glad Hester got in. Uh, but then, like you said, we, we move on to the next class, especially of first-timers who have that shot to get in on, on the first ballot. There are a lot of great names in this class that I want to touch on, but, Dad, we are going to get, finally, the debate IRL in real life of one of the greatest sports talk topics that we've had for such a long time here. Is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer now coming to Sports Talk yep. Airwaves near you this summer? Eli Manning eligible for the first time in 2025, Dad. Where have you been on this? I'm sure we've had this debate even on air plenty of times over the years. But Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer. One of the greatest postseason artists has taken down the Patriot killer himself. But a guy who we know had a pick six problem for a while. All these misgivings about the regular season here. How do we ultimately factor in Eli's post or Hall of Fame candidacy at this point? So the one thing you talk about with Hall of Famers is were they the best at their position for, you know, for a period of time? And I, I don't really know if we could ever say that about Eli, right? I, 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 let me put it this way, and this is what I've always said about Eli. I think Eli eventually gets in. I don't think Eli gets in on the first ballot. I mean, you got those two Super Bowl wins, and they're both against New England, you know, the team. Um, so that, that's obviously, I think, what's going to put him in there. But I, I don't think anybody ever considered him the best, you know, of his era for a bit, like his brother Peyton. Uh, so I don't think he gets in on the first shot. I do think he eventually does get in. How long that takes, I don't know. But to win those Super Bowls the way they did, to be the MVP both times, the team they beat both times, I do think he eventually, eventually will get in. And I think he'll be part of a three-brother tandem, and he and Peyton Eventually, will be in. I think J.J. Watt, T.J. Watt eventually be in. And then, of course, the Kelsey brothers, I think, will both be in as well. But Eli, I think it'll be a little bit before he gets in. How about you? Yeah, I'd agree. If he does, he's going to have to wait. On the surface, it's one of those where it doesn't pass the vibe test right away. But we do prorate postseason accomplishment, and he's got plenty of that in some of the biggest games and stories in the NFL. I mean, thwarting the only real modern attempt at getting to an undefeated season and the way he did certainly deserving of credit in a lot of ways. The rest of this roster though, dad, and to your point about him not getting in the first time, there's a couple of guys that should absolutely be in consideration with that. I understand that his career ended up getting cut short, but man, it's going to be hard to convince me that Luke Keekley's not a first ballot hall of famer. I mean, seven-time Pro Bowler, six-time All-Pro, Defensive Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, all in just eight seasons. That guy, to your point about was he the best at what he did for a stretch, the yep. answer was yes. Luke Keegley was a full-blown dude. He's the best football player I have ever played against, albeit in college, but this guy is just different in every way, shape, and form. Completely agree. And I, I, I have, I think, four on this list as – first-timers who, who I would put in on, on the first ballot. And I think Adam Vinatieri should be in on the first ballot. Uh, again, I think, I think, you know, the special teamers should be uh, included a little bit more. I think, I think Luke Keekley absolutely. A couple of times he led the league in tackles as well. I think uh, he should get in on the first ballot. I think Marshall Yonda should get in on the first ballot, the guard from the Baltimore Ravens. 
I mean, five times I think it was in the, it was an All Pro, eight Pro Bowls as well. I mean, th- this guy was the dominant one of the dominant guards in the league for a number of years. And I know O Lyman, it's a little harder to quantify, especially at the guard position. But I, I think those who know football and those who know how he played understand what he was and how good he was. And I think he deserves to be in. And then how do you keep Terrell Suggs out? Terrell Suggs is number eight all time on the sack list. The guys ahead of him say their name and Hall of Fame. Bruce Smith, Reggie White, Kevin Green, Julius Peppers, Chris Dolman, Michael Strahan, Jason Taylor, Terrell Suggs. He has 14 more sacks than Dwight Freeney, who just got in to the Hall. So I don't know how you can't put him in uh, on, on the first ballot. Now, maybe it won't be first ballot, but those would be my four first ballot guys, Vinatieri, Keekley, Suggs, and Yonda. So we'll see. Yeah, the other one that I think is going to be real interesting to watch is Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas for yeah. such a long stretch in those Legion of Boom secondaries. And I understand there's a lot of guys that are going to get, you know, Richard Sherman we think is eventually going to be a Hall of Famer from that group there. Obviously, Cam Chancellor was a guy that was the hammer on that group. But Earl Thomas is what allowed that whole defense to function. Having a guy that could play the deep middle the way that he did. He was a member of the 2010s NFL All-Decade team. And you make an argument, best at his position for multiple years throughout that stretch. And so it didn't end great for him in Seattle in a lot of ways. But I think overall, Dad, that's a guy that could absolutely push for something close to that. Again, every position's got their own difficulty, like you said, with how it is right, in the hall with right. a wide receiver. That tends to be a log jam at that position for a lot of reasons. And so I don't know, first round, first ballot is more of a vibe than it is an actuality for some of these positions right. based on the politics around each. But Earl Thomas is another one of those guys that was so synonymous when one of the name defenses of the NFL's time period and the Legion of Boom defense was the early 2010s defensive choice. That guy was at the helm of all of it. A couple other interesting ones in there, too. Clay Matthews, friend of the show, another guy, yeah. one of the dominant college players of his time, part of a huge football family, was a mainstay for the Green Bay Packers for a long time, made the switch from rush linebacker to middle linebacker when they needed him to during his career. And then, I mean, we already talked about it. Luke Keekley around my age, also weird up here, and I know it's because his career was cut short due to injury as well, but Travis Frederick, the former Dallas Cowboys center, one of the greats there when Zach Martin first came into the league, it was him, Travis Frederick, and Tyron Smith were the young guys on that offensive line, and now yeah. one of them is up for the first bout of his first crack at the Hall of Fame is insane. So I remember two classes ago, they were saying, well, we don't know if there's any first-timers in there, and whoever said that was out of their minds because Joe Thomas was in that class, and he was he was a guaranteed first-ballot Hall of Famer. Anybody who thought not it's, it should have your, your vote revoked. If you had to pick one person in this class that said this is a definite first-ballot Hall of Famer, because, listen, getting into the Hall of Fame is great, whether it's your first try or the, the last you know attempt that you get. You get to still put that gold jacket on. But understand there's also pride involved as well of people that get voted in on the first ballot. If you had to pick one first ballot Hall of Famer out of this, who would it be? Man, I give it to Luke. Like I, I, I'm, I think I'm biased because it was my era and I saw so much of him play. Right. But, man, what he combined physically with what he combined mentally was otherworldly. What about you? I would say Suggs. I mean, you can't be number eight on the list with everybody above you basically being in the Hall of Fame and people below you being in the Hall of Fame and you're number eight on the sack list. I, I just I find that hard to overlook, so he would it would be mine. But I think Luke should get in too. Ball so hard university, stand up, you're in the Hall of Fame. Maybe. All right, Dad, time to finish off the show the way we always do. This, that, and the third. Three quick stories to send everybody off into their day. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review us. Leave us a five-star rating and check us out here live Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern again after our brief departure last week. On the DraftKingsNetwork.com, the YouTube channel, Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku, and more. Thanks to our guests uh, who joined us today, Micah Richards, Kate Abdo, and Thierry Henry as a part of CBS's coverage of the UEFA Champions League that, again, gets going back today. Round of 16 starts at 3 p.m. Eastern. If you missed any of that, you can check it out wherever you get your podcasts or available right here on YouTube as soon as we get done 
with the show. Uh, Dad, let's get to this, that, and the third. So we talked about the great Super Bowl commercials yesterday coming off this weekend, and it was pretty unanimous around here. The Dunn Kings commercial with Tom Brady, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, and J-Lo, one of the big winners of the weekend here, and they've decided to spin that off now, the tracksuits that were a part of that commercial that were an electric <laughs> homage to one of the most famous coffee and breakfast brands in the country, sold out within minutes yesterday of going up there the whole outfit would run you about 160 dollars 60 for the jacket and pants each 40 for the bucket hat apparently now you can go and pre-order them again now you're going to take a little bit of a wait for it but dad as predicted we thought it was going to make it to the halloween costume for next year it appears that this is just going to be the fit check for the rest of the winter around massachusetts i have a feeling you are going to see a lot of people in the greater boston area jogging around the city wearing the dunk king's outfit so, I mean, obviously, this is the commercial that, that won. Uh, there's also, you mentioned in, in the break, uh, the, the behind-the-scenes uh, uh, kind of video as well that nowadays you make basically for everything. So th this was kind of the big winner. But I will say, they made a mistake. They absolutely made one mistake. The pricing. This sold out so quickly. They could have made this way more expensive. And we got way more money. I mean, a hundred and what is it? One hundred and sixty bucks for the whole thing. Sixty for the jacket, pants. Forty for the bucket hat. They could have jacked that price up, and they still would have sold out. Yeah, but I mean, come on. We don't want capitalism to have all the fun here. It's good that it's an outfit that the people can afford. Duncan's not supposed to be I'm the saying. elitist one. It's supposed to be the working man's brew. Just saying. Oh yeah. The working man's brew, the, the actors in there where we were working men. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. I mean, th this, the opportunity to make more money. I, I, listen, I love that it was priced for a lot of people to get. But in this day and age, well, I was surprised like it wasn't do. priced higher. Well, doesn't yeah. sound like you like that it's that cheap here. I'm a little worried about no, you. I got my no, eye on you. No. Next time you start surprised. Listen, the next time we have a conversation amongst labor and ownership and dad starts to side with the owners, that's when I'm really going to get worried here. But in the meantime, while we hunt down a Dunking's outfit for us on Halloween, this might overtake my desire <laughs> to go as my Scott Stapp Creed 2008 uh, halftime performance at the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, we will move on to that, dad. And that was the beautiful scenes that we saw. For the people that think we're overdoing it with Taylor Swift, you got a whole offseason where they're going to be on tour having fun and not having to worry about this. We are going to get every last bit out of this we can because, Dad, the celebration videos, we already talked about Jason Kelsey, who was a star of a postseason celebration for a team he did not play for, supporting his brother when the Kansas City Chiefs won. We did get the incredible image of Taylor Swift partying to her own song. And dad, I got to ask you, uh, neither of us have ever been musically inclined or gotten to experience this, but if you were an artist, how would you feel about going out in public and hearing your own music played and trying to enjoy it with a song that was technically work for you? Oh, I, I think it's awesome, right? Isn't it awesome to have other people singing your song? I think the, one of the most amazing things and we've bo both been to many concerts, is when the audience is singing your song, you know, as you're up on stage singing it. So I think it's great. I think it's cool. Obviously, no one's going to sing it like her, but I think it's a neat thing. I, I, I love when that happens. I love that we got the hard launch from Taylor Swift going on her TikTok, posting the video from the club of her with Travis and her parents in the club there. Everyone's stunned that we have seen such a new side of Taylor Swift. Who And we also, Dad, got to see from last year to this year, Travis Kelsey, there was a video people pulled of the Chiefs Super Bowl celebration from last year where he hopped up on a bar and was dancing the love story by Taylor Swift by himself. Fast forward a year, and he is now dancing and kissing on the author of that song while he celebrates the Super Super Bowl, it's amazing what difference a year can make. So the Chiefs parade is tomorrow on Valentine's Day. They're having the the the, the championship parade. How soon? And Taylor Swift, I, I don't know when. I'm sure you'll know more than me. Uh, she's going to be off to Australia for a bit, I believe, playing. How soon do we think Travis is in Australia? She's been in his world, right, to all the games and the Super Bowl. And I know he's been to some concerts of hers, but now – if you go to Australia, which we all think he's probably going to do, you're going to be there. You're going to be in that VIP tent for a while jamming and doing that whole thing. 
Oh yeah, if we saw him there during bye weeks and breaks during the season, my man is about to be in his touring era like crazy. And again, only thing we ask is you got to bring Jason for a little leg of the tour. It's going to get lonely. Taylor's oh, going to be busy gosh. on tour. She's going to have a lot going on. I'm sure you can hang out with your future in-laws or her parents and do all that, but you're going to need a buddy for this. Jason clearly seems like he is ready to party for any occasion. And Jason Kelsey meeting the Swifty population that has already lovingly accepted Travis would be the perfect bit of off-season content for all of us and for New Heights. I'm producing for you guys here. Except for the fact that uh, Jason has, has his wife at home and three daughters, young daughters, by the way. Not sure how long that's going to play, you know? <laughs> how long it's going to be, go do your thing. You had a Hall of Fame career. He was out of his mind at the Super Bowl. Good for him. You love seeing it. But at some point, <laughs> I think, that, and even Jason knows, that's going to end. <laughs> that is definitely going to end. Well, he knows if he leaves the house long enough, his wife, Kylie, who's been publicly campaigning for cats for a while that Jason's very out on, he's going to come back to a house chock full of kittens if he leaves for yep, too long. Exactly. So dangerous game he's getting ready to play. <laughs> that being said, got to do it in the name of content. We'll wait and see. Dad, let's get to the third here. Uh, Tiger Woods had made the announcement a while back that he was leaving Nike, a partnership that had defined an era in golf for so many people. We finally got the new unveiling of Tiger Woods' upcoming brand after 27 years. On Monday, ahead of the Genesis Invitational that he is hosting and playing in, he announced that he is going to launch his active premium lifestyle brand called Sunday Red in conjunction with TaylorMade. So it's going to be a partnership. It's going to have its own headquarters, its own staff. It's going to be his own deal. But, Dad, Tiger Woods' Sunday Red, he's got his own logo now that's a tiger with a stripe for every major that he's won here. I'm not going to lie. Upon the first unveiling, I was a little bit underwhelmed, if I'm being truthfully honest here. You are much more golf-inclined than me, Dad. Do you see yourself buying Tiger Woods gear? Oh, I, I will definitely get some Tiger Woods gear. And more importantly for Tiger Woods, everybody who is associated with golf and not, because he said they're going to make clothing for non-golfers as well, are going to buy the Tiger Wood gear. You may not like the logo as much as others, but it's Tiger Woods. And in all honesty, I'm surprised he didn't do this earlier. He has been big enough for a long enough time where he didn't. Now, it's nice to take the money from Nike uh, that he was getting, but I'm surprised that he didn't do this a while ago because of his stature that he could have started his own branding company. In, in our business, it's akin to some of the guy, the people we work with, like a Colin Cowherd or a Dan Patrick, working for a company, but then going out and starting their own company, you know, the, the podcast business, you know, for Colin, the volume. And, and that, that's kind of the, the, the comparison I make in our business is guys who have started their own companies in this. Tiger could have done this a while ago. Tiger, it's ridiculous. Remember, he's just a partner with TaylorMade, but he has his own and everything else. He is going to make so much more money, not that he needs it, it is going to be unbelievably popular to buy, Mike. You know everybody's going to feel like they have to have it because they had the Nike Tiger Wood stuff. Now you get your own Tiger Wood stuff. Uh, yeah, printing money, Tiger Woods, something that he's never been familiar with at all. Thoughts and prayers. Yeah. Somehow, we think he'll be able to survive on the meal tickets coming off this one here. We hope you survived uh, another episode of this podcast coming off our stint in Las Vegas. My voice is finally almost coming back. I feel basically human again at this point, and so we're going to push onward into the rest of this week here. If you enjoyed it, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review us, leave us a five-star rating, and check us out here live every day from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.